3: Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the communications director here at Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to the premiere, uh, season premiere of HR and Happy Hour in our first episode of 2018. Yeah. Yay! So my usual co-host, counterpart, and HRN's executive director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, is away this week. She, yeah, I know, yeah. she's going, She's heading to the Good Food Awards in San Francisco, along with our colleague Liza Ham, and I'm sure they're going to have an amazing time and be eating very well this week. Um, so I've got the rest of our crew with me today. We've got Hannah Forden, our membership coordinator.
1: Happy uh, beginning of the season. Hi, Hannah.
3: Um, and then we have Michaela Heck and Sam Lee, our fabulous intern team.
1: Hello, hello, hi guys. Um,
3: welcome to you all, and as always, shout out to our stalwart engineer, David Tadishor, who's, who's enthusiastic for himself as usual. Yeah, what a great audience! <laughs> <laughs> making us sound, making us all sound great. Thanks, David. <laughs> I am very excited to welcome today's guest. She is the senior food and drinks editor at Time Inc's All Breakfast site, Extra Crispy the author of High Anxiety, Life with a Bad Case of Nerves. She is a certified barbecue judge and proud member of the Southern Foodways Alliance. Yay, South. Um, she also has served as editor-in-chief at Tasting Table, uh, man- managing editor of CNN's Etocracy, and has written on a variety of topics, including pop culture, food, and mental health for numerous outlets. Plus, she has a really great name. <laughs> Welcome, Kat Kinsman. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you here to kick off our season. Um, on this episode of H- HR and Happy Hour, I want to shift gears a bit to talk about how sometimes it can be really hard to be happy all the time, especially in the middle of winter, and we're going to talk about some self-care tips during this time of year. Uh, when I was gearing up for this season, the bomb cyclone was in full force, and I was, I, like, my energy was totally sapped. So... Um,
4: That's what it felt like.
3: Um, For me, like many, January is a brutal mix of post-holiday exhaustion, New Year resolution pressure, terrible weather, and seasonal affective disorder. One person who understands that and makes a big point to talk about it often is Kat, and that's why I'm really happy to have her here. So we're going to get into some tips on how to manage anxiety and focus on our mental health with Kat a little later. And as always, we're going to follow up our conversation with a round of trivia But first, since this is happy hour still, we're going to talk about what we're drinking today. So dry January is in full force um, for many people. And today on happy hour, we put together some tonics, some club sodas, ginger beer, and uh, some fruit juices. And we're making our own dry January mocktails. Okay, so what's everybody drinking? Sam, what'd you mix up?
4: Oh, uh, I put together some orange juice, fresh Fresh squeezed by cat. Uh, some I put Peychaud's bitters in it—a very helping, hel- healthy helping of Peychaud's—and then I uh, topped that with ginger beer. Awesome, Ooh. and it's very tasty. Yeah, nice. Michaela, what have you got? Um, I did a little bit of lemon juice with some ginger beer and grapefruit
1: and lavender
4: uh, bitters. Yes, yeah, it's pretty good. Cool, it's really tart. Hannah, you have something
3: I'm
1: just hydrating with <laughs> water right now because I just got my wisdom teeth out and the acid is scaring me a little bit. <laughs> totally respectable. But like, you know, you need water too. You do. Kat, what about you? You are
3: you love to write about cocktails, you love to drink cocktails. You're notoriously have French 75 in your hand, um, but you're doing the mocktail game right now. So what are what are you drinking a lot of these oh, days? Oh
5: goodness, yeah, a lot of uh, you know. I was I was stopped at the bar before this, and because I, I'm on, I have a stupid gut thing right now on antibiotics. So I'm just playing it safe and not drinking. Uh, so I had ordered a seltzer and bitters, and I was trying to figure out like, is there an actual name for that? Because <laughs> so I know um, the ladies of Bon Appetit call it a, a bubs and bits, which I incorrectly called bits. And bubs <laughs> <laughs> at one point. Um, but, they, you know, they, uh, it's, a, it's a perfect combination, just like seltzer and bitters and stuff. But here in particular, we've got grapefruit juice, club soda, and those aforementioned uh, lavender and grapefruit bitters. Who makes those? Yeah,
3: grab bottle. I know it's based in Atlanta, 1821.
5: Okay, it's a gorgeous bottle and everyone should get some because it's really floral and, and tart at the same time. This is a really nice cocktail. And yeah. it looks like
1: a Victorian medicine or something. It's in like a really beautiful... Yes. very nicely designed. A
3: tincture or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> I do believe you can find 1821 at Amoria Margot. I will go ahead and shout out Souther Teague's amazing Bitters Bar. So if you are feeling like a bits and bubs kind of, you know, night, that's where you should go. They have all the bitters you'd ever want. (laughs) All right. Well, while we sip on our mocktails, let's get into our headlines. Um, This week was the beginning of our 2018 winter and spring season.
4: So let's take a look at how our hosts kick things off. All right. On Monday, Vement About It host Rachel Jacobs visited Firefly Kitchens in Seattle She spoke with co-founder Julie O'Brien about starting the company and the nutritional importance of kraut, kimchi, and salt, and the industry's evolution around those fermented foods. Japan Eats started the new year by speaking with Alexis Aliano-Sanborn about her documentary Nourishing Japan, which talks about food education and the school lunch system in Japan. Alexis is a researcher, community organizer, and artist, and is currently the program coordinator
1: at the U.S.-Asia Law Institute at NYU. And on Speaking Broadly, host Dana Cowan sat down with Carrie Brody, who founded Emma's Torch, which is an organization that provides refugees with culinary training and ESL classes to help them land work in the U.S. Carrie discusses the process of quitting her job as a global press secretary for the human rights campaign and starting this social enterprise, as well as challenges, that are now in place due to the Trump administration's immigration policies. On this week's What
3: Doesn't Kill You featured dairy farmer and environmental attorney Lorraine Lewandowski, who talked about the life of a dairy farmer in Her- Herkimer County, North New York, rural development, milk prices, and consumer education.
1: On the food scene this week, writer photographer Pablo Johnson chatted with his red beans roadshow chatted about his red beans roadshow pop up dinners and the Louisiana Creole tradition of red beans and rice for Monday night meals. Pablo has been named one of the one hundred greatest home cooks of all time by Epicurious, and his conversation with Michael Harlan Turkell about his background and the history of food culture in the South should not be missed. All right. So those are some headlines. Make sure you check out all 35
3: of our weekly shows. And I want to also give a special shout out to our newest show that just uh, premiered this week. Um, Inside Julia's Kitchen is our new podcast collaboration with the Julia Child Foundation. Um, and we're super excited to be partnering with them on that and tune in for lots of great interviews from Todd Shulkin, who is the executive director of Julia Child Foundation, and some awesome like archival clips of Julia Child herself.
0: Mm. Very excited
3: about that. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the show Our own Katie Mosman-Wadler and Liza Ham Are going to the Good Food Awards In San Francisco um, If you are a chef, restaurant owner, sourcing director Or CEO who is proud of your food business Or your food purchasing practices You can apply for the 2018 Good Food Awards by going to Goodfood100restaurants.org And taking their survey It will only be open until May 1st So be sure to get your restaurant's name On that list
4: soon uh, and I want to mention that last night we hosted a great event uh, at 100 Bogart, where we have our offices. Um, it was A Taste of Japan Eats, and over 45 guests came and enjoyed Kaiseki by Naoki, and Spicy Dandan Dan Ramen, and Gyoza by Makoto Suzuki, and we sipped authentic Japanese sake and shochu, and a uh, good time was had
3: by so all. I think. Makoto Suzuki is the king of Japanese cuisine in Brooklyn.
1: That ramen was incredible. Yeah. So good.
3: And you can go find it at Samurai Papa. It's a awesome, awesome bowl of ramen. Um, all right. So that's that's the recap of what's been going on at Heritage. It's been a really busy week for us as we kick into high gear with our new season. Um, and now we're going to turn the show back to our interview with Kat Kinsman. So Kat, um, you're a season pro when it comes to HRN and you've been on several of our shows, uh, Speaking Broadly, Radio Cherry Bomb, and The Speakeasy, to name a few. Um, you were even, I think the, the furthest back I could find interview was on Snacky
5: Tunes. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> that was ages. I yeah. was yelling about marrow bone, about <laughs> bone luge. Oh my god, it was bone luge which I have done since then, and I take back everything I said. It is so much fun to bone luge. So <laughs> you were, you were con-pro? I was anti the hype. And then I actually got to do it and it was amazing. Where did you bone bone marrow? <laughs> <have to know? laughs> I I really appreciate the air. <laughs> 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 um the good people of Toops Meadery were was they were doing a pop-up in, in uh New York and he was doing it with like a duck heart bordelaise, and it was insane and that washed with um he was doing whiskey, but if you go to Toops Meadery, Actually, in New Orleans, you can either do it with with Prosecco or he'll do Escargot sometimes. But it's just, you know, I again I recant what I said before because <laughs> the actual like I don't want it to be like a thing, and I think that I was opposed to the thingness of it. But like the actual experience is kind of fantastic.
3: That does sound like a something right up Isaac Toops' ass. Is <laughs> combining all the things that he loves
5: all of the meats I am lucky enough to like I I know him pretty well like that he uh when my husband turned 50 a couple years back he he uh, he's came to our place upstate and he like cooked a pig and just having a pig cooked for you by Isaac Toops is really one of just one of the greatest privileges of my life
3: that's awesome um so I want to ask you as you you've kind of moved through lots of different food media organizations and a lot has changed in the past like decade or more even. And with the crazy news yesterday of the suburb yeah. layoffs, like how do you think, especially as someone who primarily focuses in online food media these days, how do you see the food media landscape shifting right now? And, um, yeah, do you, what do you see happening in the going forward in the future?
5: Yeah, that's a big, tough one because the thing is n- uh, s- none of these decisions are happening because of quality, you know, was, uh, Sever was doing absolutely incredible work and they will continue to do so too. Cause uh, you know, they got out there to clarify yesterday. It's not gone. It's going to be a quarterly though. Sadly, some of, of the talent, um, isn't going to be there anymore. Uh, It's it was such a special thing. So this is a it it is a reflection of marketplace rather than um, anything that's going on. I mean, there's no one who could possibly say that Lucky Peach wasn't just doing phenomenal work out there. Same when when Gourmet was taken down. Like you know, there's really important work to be done out there. I think I, I really like in a lot of the way food content has shifted from being about the cool to the warm almost. So it went away from like kind of the cool place to be or whatever to into. What who the people are behind it, the stories they have to tell, how they're interacting with diners, and now, especially in the last, you know, a couple of months, how you know, who the people actually are and what their lives are like and how uh, you know, getting diners to understand the actual, like, cost, human cost behind their food, I think is a really important thing. I trust and I hope that all of those writers who were, um, and editors who were working at all those magazines, that people will come and scoop them up. I know, you know, I'm lucky enough to work at Extra Crispy, and I also write for, you know, Food and Wine and Cooking Light and My Recipes and stuff. And you bet your ass we're going to hire as many of those people to freelance as, as we can, because... Um, you know, I, I I I'm interested to see where this goes. I also see exciting things like, um, like taste. Uh, uh, taste cooking coming out, like the one that uh, Matt Rodbard helms for Rodate like where they're really telling like gorgeous intersectional stories from around the globe, how the, you know, how people eat, where, you know, how tradition plays into it, how things evolved, just really the humanity behind it. I see like, you know, Silejo's like uh, racist, uh, racist sandwich podcast happening. So I think it's just evolving in different ways, but I just, I can only hope that it becomes more and more person centric. Mm-hmm. That was
3: one big thing that Kim Severson talked a lot about. I, th- I think I saw her at both the Atlanta book festival and uh chef's collaborative. And she was talking about how much of the emphasis on food writing now is really um, using food writing as an entry point. And can you speak a little bit too about how extra crispy is, is a breakfast website, but you're tech, ta- you're tackling that kind of big question mark too. Yeah.
5: I'll well, say Kim is gold standard for that for sort of person centric uh, reporting like that. And I just, That she she used to be my neighbor in Brooklyn. I used to be able to see her so easily, Um, but she's killing it there in the South with extra crispy. I I feel it's so funny. You say to somebody, um, you know, it's a breakfast website, and that sounds silly on the surface, just because they've never heard breakfast is a lens through which you can explore race and politics and access and money and humor and culture. We you know have a culture editor. Um, You can frame so many things through breakfast because it's one of those meals about which people are not neutral. They love it or they hate it. Um, they have to do it to sustain themselves, their health, their their brain. Uh, you can tell stories of you know kids' access to lunch and how that impacts what they can learn during the day. The first story that I wrote for Extra Crispy was about uh, the perception of breakfast on the campaign trail. So you see everything, you know, you see people trying to get down home with grits and stuff and you can tell they've never had grits before in their <laughs> life. Um, I found out during that Donald Trump hates breakfast, which you know, there you go. I did a roundup of uh, all of the presidents in order of how much they liked breakfast, (laughs) which is really fun. Who Uh, loves it the most? um, Who did I have? I think it was Warren G. Harding. I think that's who I had for the top. Who just like loved him some breakfast. (laughs) Bill Clinton loved breakfast. Taft loved breakfast. There's Mm. some like some real breakfast fiends in there. I think Teddy Roosevelt, I think was the biggest coffee drinker of all of them. Um, There was one who was, uh, he was so sick. He had to um, take his breakfast via enema. Um, But even, <laughs> oh yeah so there was a whole like egg mixture that had to happen because uh. you couldn't otherwise digest food I, I dug up some disturbing <laughs> things during this oh my god but but yeah it's you can tell everybody's stories through breakfast we really really love the stories where we get to focus in on a particular culture's uh, breakfast and you know really and, and especially if we can get somebody from the culture to tell the story of this breakfast that they grew up grew up on or their parents did or um, you know it's a really really special thing because it's the most intimate meal. You only have it unless you're sort of at a like conference room breakfast, which we've all had with like melon, like the the sad melon (laughs) that, um, you know, it's a really intimate thing. It's when, you know, the, if you're eating it with anybody, it's either, you know, maybe they woke up there or maybe you've gone out to meet them or something like that, but it's when you're at your most vulnerable. So it's a really, I find it to be the most emotional meal of the day. Like dinner can be grand and romantic, you know, there can be a long leisurely lunch, but breakfast where it's, that's just where it's at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your guys' favorite breakfast?
1: All this talk of grits is making me (laughs) definitely, like, lean towards, like, just, like, good old, like, eggs and grits and some bacon and maybe, I mean, shrimp. I don't know. (laughs) It's good.
3: Kat, you're from the South as well. What do you think is like the quintessential Southern breakfast?
5: Oh, that'd be biscuits and gravy, baby. Yeah. Sausage gravy, uh, sawmill or the big chunky kind, wherever you like. I just think that's perfect. Maybe and oh, and red eye gravy too. Mm, but yeah. really good biscuit, yeah. and I it's one of like and biscuits an art form.
3: Yeah, we being from the South, also sometimes I I like to say that you can't really find great Southern food in New York just because I think it's. It's not so much that it's true. It's just that sometimes, you know, we're all a little snobby about where we came from. Where do you go to get, like, your southern, like, fix-ins
5: in New York City? My house. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like, I've seen some restaurants kind of try. You know, I think the closest that I've had that really tastes great. Like, uh, Rob Newton does a great uh, job at that. So I mean, he's from Arkansas. Yeah. So, which, uh, you know, he's... you know, he, he means that he loves it. He sources things from the South. Um, you know, otherwise it, it felt like for a while there was like this almost like hip South thing kind of happening, but the ingredients weren't right. Mm-hmm. Like you can taste when you have a ham with some super funk on it that, you know, that you might get when you're at like you know husking in Charleston or lucky enough to you know be on a farm or something like it, the the greens aren't the same the biscuits aren't the same you know it's it's just it needs to be just cooked personally with love it's not always pretty mm-hmm. <laughs> but i'll make um I'm on a, I have to caveat that I'm on a super limited diet right now because of this stupid gut thing. Um, but I'll, a lot of times like have like leftover collard greens in, in the morning and you can poach eggs in the pot liquor mm. and it's got all that ham in it, that fat back or whatever you ha- happen to have cooked with it. And like and if you've ever like cooked your grits with the pot liquor from uh, from the collards, like it's this just no better meal on earth.
3: Now oh, I'm really hungry. And I'm like, when's so breakfast? Good. Welcome to, 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 to my there. world. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: would eat breakfast every day if that were my breakfast. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but if you, if you could do that and you're in the South, you'd also, like, weigh 500 pounds.
5: <laughs> Worth it.
3: True. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Kat, I also... Um, Want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your book that came out last year, High Anxiety. Last year, correct? Oh, it was end of 2016,
5: practically. You know, it, it was yeah. all blurry at the end of that year.
3: I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it came out a week after the election. You were like, "This is people need this." <laughs> um, so, tell everyone a little
5: bit about that book and and the inspiration behind it. So, as long as I remember being a human, um, I've suffered from various mental. Uh, you know, conditions, uh, it's depression, anxiety. And I was lucky enough, I was the food editor at at CNN and they also were open to my writing about other things as well, including mental health. And, uh, so I would write those essays. I would encourage other people to write those essays as well. So, um, I wrote an essay that, uh, I think at the tail end of 2014 um, or beginning in 2015 that ended up sort of going viral about a panic attack that I had uh, at Tiffany during the holiday season. Um, I don't do crowds very well. I don't do holidays very well. And um, I just spiraled and I was so ashamed uh, that I had been, and I couldn't go out to a party after that. And I was so ashamed at not being able to leave my house because I was breaking down so badly. And I hadn't, and, and the, the, this cold, dark weather is not awesome on my psyche I've, I've, I've gotten better at coping with it since then but I was not going out to parties and my friends thought I was blowing them off and I just wanted to come out and tell them like hey, actually here's, here's what's going on so I wrote about um, anxiety and um, ended up writing a book after that and it's it's sort of broken down into sections that are about life and love and work and uh, you know getting along in the world, and then with these interstitial chapters about uh, particular irrational fears, like whether it's you know driving or being a passenger or getting my hair cut or just or like picking up a pair of shoes that I had the the shoe repair place. That unless you suffer from this thing in particular, you're going to think that's the stupidest thing in the world. Everybody can do that thing. Like, well, no, I can't always. So it was. Um, you know, it was a really painful process to write that book. And, but I I thought I just have to be as honest as possible because I know it really helps me when other people talk and make me feel less alone. So it, you know, came out into the world and I've, I've been really lucky enough to have, um, I I think it's, you know, had an impact on the people who need it, or at least I, at least I really hope it has. And the other thing it did was open up conversations uh, with chefs about what they're going through.
3: And you um, have a, a website called Chefs with Issues?
5: Yeah, so I I started that um, almost exactly two years ago, because um, I really realized I, I would be interviewing people, um, chefs, because, you know, that's that's my day job, is is as a food writer. And they started to talk to me about what was going on with them or somebody on their staff, and I realized, like, is this really something that's happening. Um, so I opened, I started this site uh, with a poll and, and just some articles a, a couple of years ago. And... Um, and I started a Facebook group for it this past summer when I was like, I had some downtime, I was recovering from surgery and now there are over 500 um, people in the industry in it uh, helping each other out, which is a really, really gorgeous thing. Um, so, you know, somebody will come there being like, Hey, I had a bad night on the line. I'm freaking out. You know, how do I, how do I deal with this in a healthy way? And other people will go in there and help them. And then also in chefs with issues on the site, we've got great people like Souther Teague wrote a fantastic, beautiful soul bearing essay about um, his own depression and where that dovetails with his life in, in bar service. And I, he saved lives. I think writing, writing that piece, it was so honest and open and it just really opened up a conversation like in his sphere. And he was just, I can't thank him enough for doing that.
3: It was an amazing piece. Um, and so I I also want to talk a little bit about, as you mentioned, this time of year is particularly (laughs) challenging for many reasons. Uh, the weather being one of them, um, can you share some ways that you are able to cope with that? Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it would be cocktails, but you know, I'm not drinking right now. So I love citrus fruit. I know that sounds so, so silly, but if I let myself really like emotionally engage with a good piece of citrus, it feels like sunshine in my face. You know, it just, the, the smell of it, the feel of it, the color of it, the taste of it. Um, I end up getting really obsessed with citrus and especially since it's at its peak right now, which seems counterintuitive, intuitive. You think like, Oh, lemonade and oranges, you know, kiss summer or whatever like that like no they're actually really awesome now so I'll got I'll get like a Buddha's hand and just you know it, it's an amazing smell I you know I cook with it I play around with it I you know I'll, I'll make you know cocktails with with all of these things so I just I get really weird about citrus at this time of year um, I also buy tickets to things because I am forced to leave the house and because if I don't leave the house or my office I lose money <laughs> that way so it's like buying a present for future me like oh I've bought I guess I have to go out to this concert tonight and that way I won't skimp on it um you know I won't just stay home and be like well then it's a waste of you know whatever it is that I bought and especially if I bought it months ago I don't need you know it's already paid for I don't even have to think about it um I do a lot of checking in via text with friends um you know, I have a whole sort of circle of people I do this with. It's not official or anything, but I'll just pop in and be like, how is your head and your heart today? Um, yeah, that, that tends to work pretty well. And I also um, swear by a blue light, mm-hmm. like one of those full spectrum uh, things. And I've, I've sent them out actually to a, a couple of friends. And it it gives you kind of the whatever frequency it's operating on or whatever. You sit in front of it, you know, 10, 15 minutes, half an hour every day. And it really does. I found it has a really good impact on, on my mood. Otherwise, like, I just, I don't know. I grit my teeth. I get through it and I think I'll be better at this next year, (laughs) but it, it gets a little bit better all the time. Now that I know it's coming and I've identified it. Um, and I've also made it very public so people like the aforementioned lovely Pablo Johnson, who you're talking about with the red beans and rice the first day that um, the clock rolls back or whatever, you know, and it, and it is darker. He sends me a note like sort of wishing me sunshine and stuff. So to have people around me who know that this is a, th- a thing for me who check in is huge. So I just try to return the favor.
3: That's great advice just
5: to be open and honest. And yeah. Um, Yeah. It's not your fault. It's really, it's just stupid weather, (laughs) stupid (laughs) position of the sun and the earth. It's not your fault. (laughs) And then the bomb cyclone hits and you're just (laughs) like, why?
3: Yeah. Um, Well, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with more from Kat Kinsman.
5: Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founding sponsor of Heritage
0: Radio Network.
3: Patrick Martins founded Heritage Foods USA in 2002 to save endangered species of livestock from extinction. He learned about the plight of endangered foods while working for Slow Food, a nonprofit started in 1986 in Italy when the first McDonald's opened on the Spanish Steps of Rome. To counter the homogenizing effects of fast food, Slow Food was formed to bring attention to regional cuisines and ingredients.
5: By 2000, Patrick was the president of Slow Foods USA and working on adding Heritage breeds to their arc of taste, but he decided to go further than a metaphorical arc and actually do something to preserve rare breeds.
3: That was the moment that Heritage Foods slogan "Eat 'em to save 'em" was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from heritage breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come.
5: Plus, heritage breeds just taste a whole lot better. Learn more at heritagefoodsusa.com and use the code Heritage Radio for two free pork chops with your first order, brother.
3: Y'all better go on over to HeritageFruitsusa.com and get your two free pork (laughs) chops. Brother. Brother. Um, So, Kat, I have a selfish question to ask you. Bring it. I know you spend a lot of time in New Orleans. (sighs) Yes, I do. (laughs) I think a few of us might be going to New Orleans soon. So where should we go eat? What should we do? What's like the cat' kids' been hit list?
5: Oh God! Well, there are some restaurants that I can't go to anymore due to recent events. Um, sure. So I've actually remapped it. Um, okay. Perfect. Though I, I in that empire, however, I will support um, Kelly Fields of Willa Jean. Go and see that beautiful woman who was Extra Crispy's Breakfast Chef of the Year, because um, she like she started this thing called the Yes Ma'am Foundation that is all about like empowering young women in culinary and stuff. So and plus Beyonce. Ate there last year. So, so following Beyonce just ask for whatever Beyonce got. Um, (laughs) you know, obviously, I love uh, Tupes Meadery and Tupes South. Um, is even, even more my jam these days. Cause it's a little bit more like sort of cross Southern kind of food. He is, Oh, you talk about your biscuits. He has a hundred year old sourdough starter that wow. is, yeah, it is just magic. He serves it with crab fat butter and it is just magic, but it's also a place, um, that weirdly vegetarians love, which you wouldn't think like Isaac tubes and vegetarians, but it actually works together beautifully. Um, I love Brennan's these days, like, you know, classic restaurant, been around a gazillion years. I had one of the most like heart-stoppingly lovely dishes there. They called it an egg carpaccio, um, but it was sort of like a cured uh, or or sort of lightly pickled. I don't know exactly how they did it, like egg yolk uh, confection with crab meat. It was just it it was a magical thing But go there, have a long ass lunch and just enjoy yourself. Um, I mean, pesh is Pash passion cochon both are fantastic and herb saints and any of those donald link uh restaurants are really spectacular i would go and see uh oh yeah actually lou brow is at uh, bartending at uh, at brennan's now and she is just spectacular um Oh, compare La Pan. Sit at that bar and just get whatever they tell you to get. And it is a beautiful surrounding. Nina Compton is doing incredible work there. Um, See so if you can wangle yourself an invite to Pablo Johnson's house on a Monday night. <laughs> 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 I've had the pleasure of sitting at his table, um, you know, a bunch of different Monday nights, wow. and it is there's no better party. Oh my gosh! And uh, maybe he'll bust me for saying this. I don't know. I don't care. But he walked out of the kitchen once, and Benedict Cumberbatch was there in his living room. Someone had brought Benedict. <laughs> Summer up for red beans and rice. That's very casual. It was and just like and he had just finished watching Sherlock too, oh my <laughs> so God. he was loving it. I will also say, get over to Dookie Chase National Treasure. Leah Chase just turned ninety five, and she is she's still on fire. She's in the kitchen just about every day, and she is just a spectacular human. And you should, if you get the pleasure of an audience with her, soak up every single word and just be there and and soak in it. It's God! What a lovely city that is. Mm-hmm.
3: When when are we going? Let's book our flights today. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm on
4: my phone right now. <laughs> I'm like saving all the restaurants.
5: Oh, I will also give a shout out to Josephine Estelle is a really great, newish place, maybe open, uh, like just over a year or so, maybe even less than a year in the Ace Hotel. And it's Michael Hudman and Andy Tyser from Memphis. Um, but yeah, they're on it. And especially their, their dessert chef is a goddess. Like I, I'm not usually a super dessert person, but like she stops and makes, just makes my jaw drop. Yeah. It's really a special place.
3: So were there any exciting trips you have coming up or events or extra crispy news that you want to share with our crispy listeners? News.
5: Well, I do, I hope. Fingers crossed that we're going to do Festival again mm. this year, which yeah. is like all your favorite breakfast uh, vendors and chefs and stuff like that all in one place. Uh, we did it at Industry City last year and it's such a great time. Um, I just got back from the uh, whole hog extravaganza in St. Louis where a um, whole bunch of barbecue pitmasters gathered together there to learn how to... You you know, cook hogs and um, I talked to them about mental health, which is great. <laughs> really fun. Um, the, everybody should go to the Fab Conference in Charleston. It's all, it's incredibly smart, brave, bold, powerful women in food getting together to share knowledge. Um, there are two different tracks than it usually, so it's women just getting started out in food and women who are experienced and the cross, uh, the crossover of knowledge is so generous and fantastic. I mean, you can sit there like with Barbara Lynch and have her tell you how to live your life. It's a really, really good thing. Um, Atlanta Food & Wine is coming up and I'm excited about that. They just yesterday announced their Culinary Advisory Panel of All Women. Yay! I believe it was 60 different women like just all over food. uh, I'm so proud of what they're doing. They're doing really special stuff. Um, yeah, there's, wow, now that I think about it, I have a lot of tickets to book. whole <laughs> year ahead. Yeah, but Extra Crispy, we're just, we're doing our thing. I'm so excited about it. Um, and then I, so I'm also with uh, Food & Wine some, and we're really excited about what's happening with Communal Table, um, which is first-person essays from people in the industry. There was just a powerhouse one by Lisa Donovan, um, pastry chef, talking about, you know, sort of what she's experienced in the industry and how she's just not going to stay quiet anymore. And Girlfriend ended up getting a book deal off it. Amazing. So. Well, maybe- Amazing. So this is great. It's a, it's something I'm really, really excited um is happening at Food and Wine. I'm gonna I just found out I'm gonna be like editing a lot of the essays and stuff, but we just we wanna hear from voices all over food about what is happening in restaurants and more importantly where it goes from here. Awesome. Amazing.
3: Thank you,
4: Kat.
5: My pleasure. All right,
3: we're gonna get into some trivia now <laughs> with our mistress of trivia family.
4: I'm <laughs> Hello, excited. This is me. the first time I've gotten to play trivia. Uh oh yeah. So Kat we're gonna have the whole team playing and yes. I'm going to read the questions and so no, so no taking peeks is next to me Hannah. Trivia
3: for mm-hmm. you but we're all here to help. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh no. <laughs>
0: you <got first>
4: <laughs> All right. So one way a lot of people try to stay happy on the theme of mental health here is ba- baking and cooking a lot of warm foods during the winter and so fittingly January is the official month of a lot of different warm foods. Um, so today's trivia round is about some of the food related titles that January has. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, January is official baking month. And my question to you is which Great British Bake Off judge is the only one that made the move uh, to Channel 4 from the BBC? Oh. Do you watch this show, Kat?
5: The only one I know is Paul Hollywood. That's right. Well, right?
4: that's the right answer. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the only one you needed to know. I've <laughs> only started watching it recently. Oh, I'm man. in love with
5: Ruby Tando. <laughs> mm,
4: I would recommend watching that show as a way to that's help your mental health in the winter. I 100 agree. It's a warm agree. hug because I've just started watching show. it, yeah. and
3: it's like during the bomb cyclone, I was watching episodes of this show because it was like they're all in a tent, and it's springtime, and they're baking cupcakes. And it's, and it inspired me to start baking. So,
5: isn't the whole deal that they're all really nice to each it's other? It's so
3: nice. It's a, yeah. It's a warm
4: hug. That is a, a TV show.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I read that the two original hosts, like Sue and I forget the other one's name, but they, the producers in the back scene, like were trying to make drama happen between contestants, and the two hosts were like, "We're not going to stand for this. If this is the kind of show you want to have, we're leaving." <gasps> So they, it, it was, like, purposely, like, this is going to be a nice show.
5: Oh, my God. And, and <laughs> Ruby's book um, called Eat What You Want comes out in February. It's going to change so the excited. world. Oh, she's so great. Have her on. Have <laughs> okay. Make her be a guest. <laughs> okay, <movie>. we will.
4: <laughs> okay, question two. Uh, it is also National Soup Month, another warm warm food. Uh, which actress famously projectile vomited pea soup in The Exorcist?
5: <laughs> Something Blair.
4: Linda Blair. Linda. That is correct. (laughs) The two cats combined
3: (laughs) (laughs) got us the right answer. Power
4: Power of cats combined. Um, Yes, it was Linda Blair in The Exorcist. All right, question three. It is a great time to cozy up with a warm mug, so it is also hot tea month. This is basically a question to find out if you are at all Trekkies. What Star Trek character drinks tea Earl Grey hot?
5: No. Are you a Trekkie? I am. Not Silence. i next gen. But. This would be a good
4: question for John DeBerry. Like, does anyone in here know any Star Trek characters? I know.
1: Uh, Can I found my husband? Captain
4: Kirk. <laughs> oh, wrong captain.
1: Oh, wait, wait, Is it uh, uh, Picard? Yes. <laughs> it would, it would
4: be Picard. <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard is the correct answer. Um, yeah, basically, we all win by getting that wrong bite because it means we don't watch a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> All right, uh, question four. Um, January, on the opposite side of food, it, uh, it means that a lot, there are a lot of people trying to make weight loss resolutions. So it is also fat-free living month.
5: Oh, that's depressing.
4: <laughs> I know, <laughs> so sad. I'm doing the opposite this month. <laughs> uh, but in 1998, Frito-Lay introduced their first line of fat-free potato chips, which were made possible by what fat substitute that required a warning label on the bag about some potential uh, side effects? <laughs>
5: be your Alestra? Yes, that huh? would be
4: Alestra. I didn't name the unfortunate side effects. A um, leakage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. a very specific kind of <laughs> leakage. Um they still sell it. Still has a warning, wow. but people still eat that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to have your free toe pie. Fat free Frito pie. <laughs> oh. Frito pie. Oh. Thank you, David. All right, fifth and final question. Uh, there's, this is also national oatmeal month, which is, you know, a warm and healthy breakfast. So shout out
2: to Bob's, growing, yeah. mm, Bob's Red Mill. Yeah. Bob's Red I'm some muesli right now.
4: <laughs> I'm about to get in trouble then. Cause I'm about to mention a different oatmeal brand, but I think that's okay. Uh, became, be- ah. <laughs> thanks David. Before he became the spokesperson for diabetes, what actor was the spokesperson for Quaker Oats? Wilford Brimley. That is correct, Kat. Wilford Brimley with his fine white mustache is correct. Is he
3: is a <laughs> he 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 diabetes guy? That is uh, diabetes. diabetes guy. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I know him as. He diabetes, is also diabetes, Mr.
1: Diabetes, 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 diabetes. diabetes. diabetes.
5: <laughs> You had that on cue. <laughs> He's good. He's good.
4: All right, that's all the that's all said. All for I trivia. I think we got five out of five.
1: Amazing. Woo-hoo. Kat's
4: the new
3: trivia yeah, pro. Killed trivia it. champ. Killed yeah, it. Setting the
1: bar high for 20
3: I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And also, we got, like, amazing New Orleans recommendations. So we're really starting on a high note, guys. We, we managed to have a happy hour after all. Yay! Yeah. Yay. Well, um, thank you so much to Kat Kinsman for being our first guest of 2018. It is
5: a pleasure and a privilege. Come back
3: whenever you want. I would this love to. Amazing. <laughs> um, thanks to Michaela, to Sam, to Hannah for joining me. Thanks, shout out. Did. Thank you. Th- shout out to Katie and Liza, who are on the West Coast. Maybe best coast depends on who you ask right now. (laughs) And thanks to David, our engineer, for for making the show run smoothly.
4: And providing so many sound effects. So many
3: (laughs) on-point sound effects. All right. Well, that's our show. We'll be back here next week at 5 p.m. on Thursday. So we'll see you then. HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.